Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshalek. Coming up later in today's feature report, Eco Report correspondent Zero Rose sat down with Woody Bessler and Ann Heaton, both members of the Center for Sustainable Living, or CSL, to talk about their efforts to promote renewable energy alternatives and ways to make solar power more affordable and accessible for low local low-income households. Siren and Solar for All are projects under CSL's umbrella nonprofit. And now for your environmental reports. Only Louisiana and Nevada have worse air quality than Indiana. One of the issues that has evolved in Louisiana is whether there is a greater risk of cancer downwind of the refineries. Two studies by researchers from Tulane Environmental Law Clinic have confirmed that Cancer Alley a 184-mile region in Louisiana along the Mississippi River with a high number of petrochemical plants as well as high cancer rates for residents is not only real, but that government officials helped to create it. The studies confirm that many locals and scientists <clears throat> have long suspected that the industrial pollution rampant in this region is harmful to human health. Yet officials have said that cancer rates in the region along the Mississippi River are not higher than averages across Louisiana. Tulane does not use the term cancer alley, according to a spokesman for the university. Quote, that term implies that there is a large geographic area and has a higher cancer incidence than the state average. We have not seen higher cancer incidence over large areas of the industrial corridor between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, end quote. But two recent studies led by Kimberly Terrell, a research scientist and director of community engagement at the Tulane Environmental Law Clinic, and Gianna St. Julian, Law Clinic Research Coordinator, show evidence that Cancer Alley exists as a region where cancer rates are higher. The studies also found that the way state regulators have implemented industrial permitting has led to discrimination and disparities in industrial pollution with the biggest burden falling on communities of color in the state. One of the studies, published in January 2023, found that more than half of industrial facilities in Louisiana were clustered in the area known as Cancer Alley, and communities of color faced 7 to 21 times more emissions than predominantly white communities. Chemical manufacturing was the largest contributor of all emissions. Another study from Terrell and St. Julian, published in 2022, found higher estimated cancer risk from air pollution associated with higher cancer rates related to poverty and race. Terrell also shared in The Advocate that the research found 
850 cancer cases for predominantly black and low and or low income communities in Louisiana that were related to toxic air pollution over the past 10 years. Quote, our analysis provides evidence of a statewide link between cancer rates and carcinogenic air pollution in marginalized communities and suggests that toxic air pollution is a contributing factor to Louisiana's cancer burden, end quote, the author said in the 2022 study. Quote, these findings are consistent with the firsthand knowledge of Louisiana residents from predominantly black, impoverished, and industrialized neighborhoods who have long maintained that their communities are overburdened with cancer, end quote. Following up on three filed complaints, the EPA shared that actions by Tulane and the Louisiana Department of Health contributed to, quote, dis disparate adverse impacts on black residents of St. John the Baptist Parish and St. John, St. James Parish and the Industrial Corridor. The EPA also noted that Tulane's air permitting program was implemented in a way that continue, continued to expose residents, including children, to, quote, average annual concentrations of chloroprene in ambient air at levels associated with increased lifetime cancer risk, end quote. There is a comparable story about air pollution along the Ohio River. Of the many contributions to this issue, a publication by the Sierra Club in 2016 stands out. Wendy Breadhold, spokesperson for the Sierra Club, said despite serious public health threats posed by high levels of coal pollution in the Ohio River Valley, which includes parts of Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio, not many have paid attention. Quote, this region has one of the highest concentrations of coal-burning power plants in the country, including some of the dirtiest, and more than half of the power generated is exported, end quote, said Breadhold. Two of these plants, Duke's Gibson Station and Rockport Plant, are among the biggest and dirtiest in the country. For many residents, they either hadn't connected the dots between nearby coal-fired power plants and health problems like asthma, or they just weren't that aware their area was home to such high concentration of power plants. Months of work to raise awareness culminated in a public forum entitled Breaking the Silence, Coal's Impact on Our Health in Evansville, where a full house gathered to learn from experts, ask questions, and share their stories. Exposure to air pollution from coal plants is linked to heart disease, cancer, respiratory illness, stroke, and studies suggest mental illness reduced intelligence, and Alzheimer's disease. Mercury from coal plants makes its way from water sources up the food chain and damages the developing brains of fetuses. Air pollution from coal plants is responsible for thousands of premature deaths per year nationally and billions in annual health care costs. Will Indiana continue to give the highest priority to saving the coal market? Indiana has the 10th highest rate of brain and central nervous systems tumors among children in the country, according to the American Childhood Cancer Organization. Considering all ages, according to the CDC, Indiana ranks number seven in cancer death rates. There is no doubt that cancer is a problem in this part of the country. Many speculate that the Ohio River Valley itself could be to blame as it is a low point for airborne toxins from major manufacturing and industrial waste to settle. Then there is, of course, 
the fact that the Ohio River is one of the most polluted bodies of water in the United States. The AlleghenyFront.org, an independently funded and award-winning public radio program that focuses on environmental issues facing western Pennsylvania, have mapped all of the points along the Ohio River where toxic wastewater is discharged into the river. They say there are roughly 6,900 toxic-containing wastewater discharges along the Ohio River. Then, during the Trump administration, regulations were further weakened to provide more profit to enterprises located along the river. The Ohio River is a constant flow of toxins. Many other waterways in the state of Indiana are unsafe for recreational use, according to a report by the Environmental Integrity Project. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency says that 73% of rivers and streams and 23% of lakes and reservoirs have, quote, recreational use impairments, unquote. That is pollution that prevents those waterways from fully supporting recreational uses that involve bodily contact with the water, like swimming, fishing, and boating. What that means is that more than 24,000 miles of rivers and streams in Indiana have sufficient pollution to make it potentially unsafe for Hoosiers to be in the water. The percentage of impairments is so high that the state of Indiana ranks first in the nation for water recreation impairments. The question arises about which communities in Indiana have the lowest rates of cancer deaths. It will come as no surprise that the safest places are not along the Ohio River or in the northwestern part of the state. Many of the coal-fired power plants are located in the southern part of the state. The area near Lake Michigan has the steel plants and a refinery. Many of the safest communities are north or west of Indianapolis. The safest community in the state is Carmel. The community of wealthy Caucasians has few highly polluted polluting industries. To help increase mussel populations, the Nature Conservancy is partnering with the Muncie Bureau of Water Quality and the Indianapolis Zoo to construct the first mussel-rearing facility in Indiana. This facility will boost struggling mussel populations, protecting and conserving these amazing and underappreciated animals that continuously clean our rivers and lakes. The rearing facility, located near the West Fork of the White River in Muncie, is unique in that it will feature flowing water sourced directly from the upper White River. Mussels were once abundant in Indiana. However, nearly half of the state's mussels are imperiled. Many freshwater mussels populations are so diminished that they no longer effectively reproduce. The marvelous life story of mussels makes them excellent candidates for lab rearing. They can grow safely in this watery nursery without the dangers of floods, drought, and predators. Once they have grown to approximately 4 to 5 millimeters in diameter, the mussels will be placed either in mussel silos in the river or in the nearby Prairie Creek Reservoir. Monitoring will continue over the next three years, and data will be analyzed to determine which sites resulted in the fastest growth and highest survival. Landowners homeowners and farmers in Monroe, Brown, and Jackson counties may be eligible for up to $10,000 to help pay for actions they take to reduce the erosion and pollution that could possibly end up in Lake Monroe. The types of projects that will be accepted include planting cover crops on agricultural fields, 
installing permanent vegetation along streams, adding fencing along streams to keep livestock out of waterways, and placing material such as concrete in heavy-use areas near streams and creeks to lessen erosion. Forestry projects will also be considered. Anyone interested who has land within the Lake Monroe watershed can apply online at www.friendsoflakemonroe.org slash cost dash share. Applications are due by June 1st. Maggie Sullivan, watershed coordinator for Friends of Lake Monroe, said that the projects that are most impactful will receive funding. Reuters reports a federal appeals court on Friday rejected a challenge to a Biden administration regulation requiring reductions in pollution that blows across state lines by power companies that allege the new rule would cost them hundreds of billions of dollars. A unanimous three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit tossed the power company's petition after finding the technical analysis used by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to finalize the 2021 rule was sound. The agency's rule requires coal power plants in 12 mostly Midwestern and Northeastern states that have previously failed to meet emissions reduction standards to install costly emission controls. The requirements aim to reduce pollution, including ground-level ozone, also known as smog, that can travel downwind across state lines and degrade air quality. The 2021 rule, drafted in response to that court decision, requires emissions controls at power plants in Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia, which the EPA said were all significantly contributing to downwind pollution concerns in other states. During the Trump era, regulations on emissions were relaxed, and now the legislature sees no reason to reduce the pollution Indiana sends eastward. And now we join Zero Rose and his conversation with Woody Bessler and Ann Heaton on the inception and facets of the Center for Sustainable Living Solar Initiatives. And that's what SIREN is about. It's providing pre-public education on performance, benefits and incentives of solar power and I guess also other renewable energy tech, we are leading up to what kind of evolved to reach low-income households, Indiana Solar for All. And Indiana Solar for All provides resources and training to enable low to moderate income homeowners to install solar systems on their homes. Founded in 2018, it's the first program of its kind in Indiana uh, with 24 participatory households through 2021 at least, expecting to produce 2,700 megawatt hours of clean electricity, preventing 4.8 million pounds of atmospheric pollutants while saving the families close to half a million dollars over the next 30 years. I believe it was Stephanie Kim was Stephanie Kimball the inception person for Solar for All. Yes, she approached a solar installer and said, would you be willing to help me all this myself? Can I do this as a DIY project? And was that a, a, a federal uh, tax credit? That's Yes, that's the federal uh, energy uh, tax credit. So she approached this installer and asked, could I work with you to do this work myself when you you know, look over my shoulder and make sure that I'm doing it properly and to code and safely and so on. And 
and her partner put solar on their home. And, you know, that was relatively straightforward for someone who had a little bit of technical experience or uh, familiarity with working with tools and uh, was willing to put in the time to learn the additional skills necessary. And she approached Siren and suggested that she thought that there was a possibility of doing a CSL project, the Center for Sustainable Living again. She wanted to start a project that was going to ordinary people, especially low-income families, put solar on their own homes as she had done. But she was also interested in trying to seek funding that would help pay the cost of it for the especially low-income families that would never even be able to afford the materials cost. A cohort of families apply to be in the program. Typically, you know, we'll get 20 or 30 applications. We're usually able to fund somewhere between six and 10 per year. You know, COVID has made that a little bit tighter. In the COVID years, we were doing a smaller number than that. But we average about seven per year across the years since 2018. And the materials are provided by funding that's raised outside of uh, the families and or the homeowners. And the Solarize program has been a significant part of that. We've gotten some grant funding. Uh, homeowners have put together fundraisers, uh, for example, that have helped raise funds to provide for the system's materials. Uh, it works out roughly that the materials for the standard system that we install are about 5,000, cost about $5,000. If you had to buy that kind of system and have it professionally installed, it would be worth about $10,000. But over the course of 30 years, it's gonna produce nearly $20,000 worth of electricity for that household. So it's a wonderful return on investment for the donors, as well as obviously those low-income families who generally pay more, uh, a higher percentage of their income for energy. And so it's also hits on the social uh, fairness uh, or social equity from that standpoint. And it, it doesn't do anything to tap into that uh, what is now a 26% federal income tax credit, because again, the families are usually so low income that they can't benefit from that tax credit. So this is addressing that issue uh, to, to allow them an opportunity to have solar. And uh, Ann, we'll pull you back in here. I, I noticed on the city's website for the Solarize program, the Solarize program is the city program. And they said they do not subsidize, you know, these, these panels, but I guess they do do part of the funding. Is that right, Ann? The solar installer partners contribute a small amount of money on each contract to a fund that um, enables us to buy materials and to pay for the services of a, a contracting company in order to do the systems design in order to do whatever ancillary um, electrical work needs to be done. And so that fund is one of the main revenue streams going into um, Indiana Solar for All. And if I could go back just a moment to what Woody was just saying, um, it is clear what the benefits to the um, Solar for All homeowners are of receiving a system. 
and they are substantial. And that has been a very strong contributing cause to their being able to, first of all, regularize their expenses, and secondly, save money that they can use for other important purposes. But what I'd like to stress too is what the participants in the solarized, in the Indiana Solar for All program give back to the community because they're contributing their labor. And um, they contribute a minimum of 80 hours for their system participation, but many of them are contributing a whole lot more. They sort of get into it because it is a community thing. It's sort of like barn raising, you know, it's fun. People enjoy themselves. They form lasting friendships. So they keep on turning up at the installations. And so what the community is getting out of this is a reduction of the um, emissions load that basically is paid for by individuals in the community who are um, installing these donated materials and who are helping the city meet its targets for emission reductions that are codified into the Climate Action Plan. So the Climate Action Plan specifically has uh, a component in the energy and built environment sector, a component donated to continuing with the Solarize program and continuing with Solar for All and weatherization projects for our low-income households. And there is a target set for every year. It's highly aggressive target, and it's going to be more difficult going forward because the utilities have pulled the plug on net metering. However, in the environment, post-net metering, a DIY system makes ever more sense because by eliminating the labor cost, you are increasing the ROI. And I think one of the very important things that this program has demonstrated is that it's not rocket science to, to install a solar system. One of our installer partners, Whole Sun Designs, that was instrumental in starting the Solar for All program, the president of Whole Sun Designs, Ryan Zaricki, refers to solar installations as tinker toys for adults. Now, you do need a very smart person who knows their engineering, their electrical engineering, up front to do the system design. It's not something that everybody can do because it, it involves a real thorough knowledge of, of electricity and how things move in and off of the grid. But given that, um, it is really a demonstration that ordinary people can put up solar systems safely. And um, this is, I think, an important thing for us to realize at this point in history, because the number of solar systems that would have to be installed to change the tide on climate action, on climate change, is immense. We don't have enough commercial companies to do that, though possibly if the tax credit gets extended, if there's an infusion of capital into renewable energy technologies starting at the federal level, and if a number of other planets align, then the growth of the solar industry will continue. Prior to the end of net metering, the number of solar jobs in Indiana was increasing rapidly 
And the growth rate was 12 times what it was for, for the average of other jobs in the state. So it provides a really good living and one would want to see that continue to happen with solar companies in general. But it's sort of like the introduction of the automobile. The people who, who introduced the technology were by and large tinkerers. They were bicycle shop owners. They were people who saw the um, possibility that the automobile represented for changing things in a good way for them. And they jumped into it, they experimented, and they learned how to do it themselves. With all of the things that we've been doing with Siren, with Solar for All, with the Monroe County Energy Challenge, with a lot of other things that um, we've been involved in, we're planting seeds. We don't know what's ultimately gonna grow from those seeds, but we know if you don't plant the seeds, nothing's gonna grow. I think Solar for All has, has that to offer to the community, as well as benefiting the community by actually reducing emissions load. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallek. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Take a morning lake hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. Meet Anthony at the Lakeview Activity Center for a hike around the lake on Trail 5, which is partially rugged. On the hike, you will learn the history of the lake and park. Learn all about the woodpeckers of Indiana at Brown County State Park on Saturday, March 11th from 3 to 3.45 p.m. Join radio personality Don Glass, who is a park expert, bird enthusiast, and NPR's Moment of Science show host for a presentation and discussion about Indiana's seven species of native woodpeckers. The Going Green Spring Hike at the Fairfax State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake is scheduled for Friday, March 17th from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. Honor St. Patrick's Day and the upcoming spring equinox on a 2.5-mile hike along the Homestead Loop Trail. You will be looking for signs of spring while enjoying the air and beauty of early spring. Sign up at bit.ly slash goinggreenhike 2023. Come to Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, March 18th between 10 and 10.30 a.m. for snake talk. With the warmer weather, snakes will be coming out. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center to learn about Indiana snakes while visiting with two of the park's resident snakes. The popular Cave River Valley hike will take place at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, March 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. You'll be able to explore this beautiful primitive property managed by Spring Mill. 
This is a very rugged hike and you will need to bring waterproof shoes and a hiking stick. You will meet at the Donaldson Cave parking lot, then travel by car to the site. Please sign up a day in advance to 812-849-3534 or go to sbelt at dnr.in.gov. Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Carl Kugler, I'm sorry, Carol Kugler, and with the Bloomington Herald Times and Juliana Daly. Our feature was pre- prepared and presented by Zero Rose. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Snyder. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young produced today's show and edited the audio. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallak. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.